This afternoon, we are studying what Scripture teaches regarding holy baptism as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 27. And we are going to read all of Lord's Day 27, but the focus will be on the last question and answer, question and answer 74. Lord's Day 27, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants, too, be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit, who works faith, are promised to them, no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. As far as the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, should infants too be baptized? That's a question asked at the end of Lord's Day 27. It's a simple but important question. It's also a topic of much controversy in North America with uh, churches that hold to believers-only baptism uh, dotting the landscape. This afternoon, we will be studying what Scripture has to say about this important matter, and I will be teaching that the Scriptures, from the Scriptures, that the children of believers most emphatically, emphatically should be baptized. Now, I don't want to simply argue against a theology that says only uh, believing adults should be baptized, although there will be that, but I also want to explain here this afternoon the benefits of infant baptism and the theology surrounding it. And that is the most important thing. We want to especially see this. Why is infant baptism a dearly loved teaching and practice for us as Reformed believers? And why can we be so thankful to God for it? Now, as we look at this question, should infants too be baptized, perhaps... Uh, we might have some doubts about our theology and practice. After all, there's not one clear example of an infant receiving baptism in the New Testament. The household baptisms come close, but they don't give a crystal clear example. Furthermore, as you read the book of Acts, the pattern uh, seems to be this. First people believed, and then they were baptized. What does this say about the infants who, who don't have faith? In addition to this, this afternoon we read three passages from the book of Romans. 
I'm going to do, uh, argue for the practice of infant baptism mainly from these passages. Well, guess what? Uh, none of them say that infants must be baptized. In fact, they don't even use the word baptism, and there's not even a hint of water. Uh, so what gives? Maybe we wonder, well, are we as Reformed believers guilty of reading this teaching into Scripture? But, beloved, we must understand, if we reason like that, then we have started off on the wrong foot. We don't answer this question, should the children of believers be baptized, by simply looking up every instance of baptism in the New Testament and and see if there are any children there. That evidence is important, but there's a lot more to it than that. To answer this question, should infants too be baptized, we simply need to answer one other question. And that question is this. Do the children of believers belong to the people of God, or do they not? Do the the children of believers belong to the people of God, or do they not? See, there are only two options. Either the infants belong to God or to the devil. Either uh, they belong as part of the church or the world. So what is it? Well, if we see from Scripture that the children of believers belong to God and the people of God, then we must baptize them. No questions asked. And that is how we must determine if infants, the children of believers, must be baptized or not. And when we understand that concept, then our reading from the book of Romans, our readings from the book of Romans are very important for supporting the practice of infant baptism, as we hope to see. And so let me emphasize this again. If the children of believers belong to the covenant people of God, then we must baptize them, no questions asked. And that's essentially the theme of the sermon this afternoon. This afternoon, we're going to look at the inclusion of the children of believers among the people of God, especially through the image of the olive tree as described in Romans 11. I mentioned it right before we sang Psalm 128 as well. So our first main point will be this. Scripture's image of the olive tree reveals the children's place among the people of God. And in our second point, we'll then look at the benefits that God gives by including the children of believers among his covenant people. The first point will be substantially also longer than the second point. Now we go into the first point. Scripture's image of the olive tree reveals the children's place among the people of God. Beloved, let me begin this first point by stating this. There is a passage in your Bible, sorry, a page, not a passage, a page in your Bible that is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, this afternoon I'm giving you permission to cut a page out of your Bible. If I didn't have your attention before, I probably have it now. Uh, That page, if you have it in your Bible, probably only has three words on it. The New Testament, right between Malachi and Matthew, not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, if we cut that page out of our Bible, how might it change our perspective 
I think we would more and more see the unity of the scriptures. Some people get the sense that we're uh, turning over a brick wall when we go from Malachi to Matthew. But it's not true. We see the unity of scripture and that throughout history, God has been carrying out one plan of salvation. That's how we begin to see the inclusion of children among God's people still today. Now, in response to what I just said, some people might argue that I'm going to start from the Old Testament because I don't have an argument for infant baptism from the New Testament. And certainly we do need to build a case for infant baptism from the New Testament also. However, what we need to see is this. In the Old Testament... God started a trajectory for his covenant people, and he carries that through into the New Testament. That's very important for understanding infant baptism. Think about the trajectory God started with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. He gave that wonderful covenant promise in Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So that was the trajectory covenant through the generations. And we see this trajectory in Romans 11. And that trajectory is also pictured with that image of the olive tree. The olive tree is an Old Testament image. Find it in some prophetic writings. Uh, picturing the covenant people of God. So that's very important for this afternoon, that image of the olive tree pictures the covenant people of God. And the Apostle Paul uses that image in Romans 11, that Old Testament image. The root of the olive tree refers to Abraham, perhaps the other patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob. The branches, the tree refers to the covenant people who grew from that root, primarily Old Testament Israel. However, something happened to the branches on that olive tree, the people of Israel. They became spiritually dead. And so God cut them off. And that's one thing Paul's explaining in this section of Romans, in chapters 9, 10, and 11. At the end of Romans 8, Paul declares, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so the next logical question is, well, if that's true, what about Israel then? Did God's word fail to them? Was God unfaithful? In Romans 9, Paul answers those questions by saying no. Although all Israel, all the Israelites had the promise, you see that in verse 4, uh, they belonged to the covenants. God's word was fulfilled, the promise was fulfilled in those whom he chose from within Israel. The elect, that's what the rest of Romans 9 is about. Promise was fulfilled in the elect. And they are the true Israel and Abraham's true children. In Romans 10, Paul explains why the majority of Israel fell away. They failed to put their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, when the Gentiles heard the gospel, they believed. So God began to call his people from among the Gentiles now, and also still from the Jews as well, but primarily from the Gentiles now. 
And that brings us to Romans 11. Paul asks about Israel. Did God reject his people? By no means, Paul says, there is still a remnant of believing Israelites. Well, what can we say about the majority of the Israelites who stumbled? Paul says, God, by his sovereign choice, hardened the majority of Israel in unbelief. That unbelief was their own fault. The end of Romans 10 makes that clear. But God hardened them in unbelief so that they might stumble. He blinded their eyes. Now we might wonder, why would God do that? Did God want Israel to fall away completely? Well, no, Paul says, God hardened Israel so that they might stumble because he wanted to have mercy on the Gentiles. He wanted to include the Gentiles into his own people, his covenant people, and make them partakers of his covenant with Abraham as Israel was before. He brought that about through the disobedience and unbelief of Israel. And now let's relate all this history to the image of the olive tree in Romans 11. Abraham and the patriarchs are the root of the tree. Israel grew out of that tree by, na- by nature. They were, according to the flesh, natural branches on that olive tree. The majority of them were hardened in unbelief, and they were cut off because of that by God. The Gentiles, by nature, are branches from a different olive tree, a wild one, the unbelieving world. But God, in his mercy, took many Gentile branches from that wild olive tree, uh, representing, oh, sorry, and grafted them into fallen Israel's place. So believing Gentiles became a part of God's special olive tree, representing the covenant people of God, partakers also in that covenant that started with Abraham. And the question we now need to answer is, do the children of believers belong to God's olive tree, covenant people of God? And that's important because if they're part of that tree, then they belong to the people of God. And if they belong to the people of God, they must be baptized to mark them out as such. And that's where we're going with this. Now, how do we answer that question? Well, we know for sure that before the time of Christ, the children were included on that olive tree in the covenant people of God. Think again of Psalm 128, a psalm we sang from earlier, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. See, there's that Old Testament image that Paul is working with. The children were the, like olive shoots on the olive tree, That doesn't mean they were regenerated, but it does mean they belonged to God's covenant, God's covenant people. With the inclusion of the Gentiles after Christ, do the children still belong to the olive tree? Because if they do, they must be baptized. We're going to answer this question from three different angles. See, these three different angles correspond to the three different types of branches on that olive tree. First is the perspective of the Gentile branches who are grafted in to that olive tree. Second is the perspective of the believing Israelite remnant who remained as branches on the tree. The third angle is from the perspective of the majority of Israel 
were broken off because of unbelief, but may be grafted uh, back into the olive tree by God's grace. And these three angles, corresponding to three different branches, will help us to see the current status of the children of believers. So we'll take a little bit of time, but the first one will take the most time. The second two will be shorter, I promise. So the first perspective is of the believing Gentiles who originally belonged to a wild olive tree, but are now grafted into an olive tree cultivated by God, the covenant people of God. Now, as far as I'm aware, uh, most of us here are Gentiles. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what have we been grafted into? We've been grafted into a tree that has Abraham and the patriarchs at its roots. For what did God promise Abraham through him and his offspring? All nations would be blessed. We are experiencing that in the New Testament time period. And when God made the new covenant in Christ and brought the Gentiles in, what did God do? He did not start like a new spiritual tree of some sort. Now we kept the old tree with its root and only took branches off. We as Gentile branches are grafted into Israel's place, partakers of God's covenant with Abraham. So the emphasis is still on the natural tree which descends from the patriarchs today. And by this and other parts of Scripture, we see that the, the new covenant, it does not do away with God's covenant with Abraham. We must see that. We are living in new covenant times. That doesn't mean God's covenant with Abraham has been jettisoned. No. That covenant remains. And that covenant is most emphatically a generational covenant. Yes, there are changes that come in the new covenant. But the new covenant is a replacement of God's covenant with Israel on Sinai. And not a replacement of God's covenant with Abraham. After all, God did not uproot the olive tree and throw it away. Again, he did not start a new spiritual tree or something like that. Think also the remnant of believing Israelites. They continued on the same tree. We as Gentiles are simply grafted in alongside them. Now this is what we must see next. The Gentiles were grafted into the covenant people of God by faith. And the Gentiles have become children of Abraham by faith. In fact, that's what makes someone a true child of Abraham. That's what Romans 9 is all about. I think it's on this point that so many people stumble over infant baptism. The way some see it is that in the Old Testament times, the covenant continued through the generations of Abraham's physical children. Now the Gentiles are grafted into God's covenant people by faith and become children of Abraham by faith. And the conclusion that some make is that the children must now uh, be excluded. After all, we can't say that they have faith. However, this is faulty reasoning. Yes, the Gentiles are counted children of Abraham by faith in Christ. This means as a believer, you can, as it were, trace your lineage back to Abraham through Christ Jesus. 
means that believing Gentiles are now included in God's covenant dealings with Abraham, which continues through the generations. Gentile believers have been included by faith and now partake in that same covenant promise. God will be God to you and to your children after you. See, when God takes Gentiles from that wild olive tree, the unbelieving world, and grafts them into the olive tree of the covenant people of God, what does he do? Does he leave that, uh, the believing Gentiles' children behind over there on that wild olive tree? No, they were always included on God's olive tree before. But if a believer's only baptism position were correct, then here we must ask, if the children were olive shoots on the tree before, why are they now kept off the tree when the Gentiles, comes, the Gentiles come in? And this is where the argument from, from Scripture's silence is so important. Nowhere does God say in the New Testament Scriptures that the children are now removed and are no longer included. Branches were only removed because of unbelief, not because they were too young to have faith. Furthermore, what does God say about the children of believers in the New Testament? Well, look what Paul says first about the branches on this olive tree, the covenant people of God. He says, if the root is holy, so are the branches. The branches are holy. So we should ask, does God anywhere in the New Testament call the children of believers holy? And to that we must answer, yes. Yes, he does. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14 says that children of believers are holy. They belong to God's holy nation, the covenant nation. doesn't mean they've been regenerated. But it does mean that they too are holy branches on that tree. The root is holy, so are the branches. The children of believers are holy, so they are branches on that tree. They're part of God's holy nation, the covenant people of God. Therefore, they must be baptized. That's why we baptize our children. They must be baptized to show to whom they belong. To show that God has claimed them and has given them promises. Promises first given to Abraham. They are part of the church and not part of the world. See, beloved, God has made us one with his people of old. God has one people that he's been gathering in since the time of Abraham. We, by faith, belong to that one people. That's one reason why we sing the psalms. For the psalms from a bygone era that we no longer pay attention to, no. They are about God's work among the, the people we now belong to. Part of our history. You know what? Some of the psalms look forward to the inclusion of the Gentiles among God's people. Think of Psalm 117. Which we sang at the start of the service, Psalm 117, calls all nations to praise Yahweh, the covenant God. What are they told to praise God for? The Gentile nations. Well, his steadfast covenant love. His faithfulness. His covenant faithfulness. And that's why Paul argues in 
And this is what Paul argues in Romans 15, which we read. He quotes from several Old Testament passages, including Psalm 117, to show that it was always God's plan for the Gentiles to praise God for his covenant mercy. The very covenant mercy he first showed to Abraham. And at the end of this service, we hope to sing from Psalm 100. That Psalm 2 calls the Gentile nations to praise Yahweh. And in, in this psalm, Gentiles are called to praise God because of his steadfast covenant love that endures forever, and his covenant faithfulness is from generation to generation. And if our children are no longer included in God's covenant, then this reason for praising God has been removed. But Psalm 100 envisions a time when the Gentiles will praise God for his faithfulness, which continues through the generations. We hope to fulfill that vision of Scripture at the end of this service. So that's the first branch. The next two will be shorter, I promise. Now let's now look at the status of children from the perspective of the believing Israelite remnant. So in the change from the old covenant with Israel to the new covenant in Christ, some believing Israelites remained part of the covenant people of God. They remained on the olive tree. They were true children of Abraham by faith, not just by the flesh. And they were not removed from the tree like those who were only children according to the flesh, but were unbelievers. Now what should we say about their children? The olive shoots on those branches. What happened to those children in the transition to the new covenant? Did their status change? Were the children of believing Israelites ripped from that tree, the covenant people of God? Well, if a believer's baptism theology is correct, then believers who lived during the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, would suddenly find their children removed. And this, I say, is impossible. Romans 11 talks about branches being removed because of unbelief. But if the olive shoots or children on faithful branches, believing Israelites, were removed also... What does that say about God's faithfulness to his promises? See, those believing Israelites before the new covenant, what could they say to their children? They could say, without a doubt, God has promised to be your God. You can trust him. He is faithful. You are part of God's covenant people. Now, what if you told that same believing Israelite who lived during the transition into the new covenant... What if you told them that God had removed his children now that Christ has come? And that he can no longer tell his children that they belong? Well, he would say, surely God's faithfulness has been destroyed. I understand why the unbelieving branches were removed from the tree, but why would God cut my children off? I've not broken God's covenant, neither have my children. Why then did God break his end of the covenant? Why did he at first say they belong to him, but now change his mind in the blink of an eye? Say they now belong to the world. Beloved, that did not happen. 
God's faithfulness cannot be destroyed. Children of believing Israelites during the time of the transition to the new covenant were not stripped away from the covenant people of God, but surely they continued along with them. Let's see this from the perspective of the Israelite branches who were cut off. Yes, the majority of Israel was cut off because of unbelief and their children, I might add. That's part of God's covenant. But the Spirit, through Paul, says about those branches who were cut off, God can graft them in again. God has the power to raise the dead, and so he has the power to graft them in again. If God grants them back into the same tree they belonged to before, if they are not natural branches on that tree, do you think that God would not also graft their children in again too? They belong to that tree by nature. They belonged to it before. If God grafts them in again, undoubtedly the children will be brought in again too. Beloved, in all these three perspectives, we can see the children of believers... They belong. They belong to the covenant people of God. So they must be baptized. Let's hold on to this truth, also because of the benefits we receive from it. That brings us to our second point. So we're going to look now at the benefits God gives by including the children of believers among his covenant people. This afternoon, we'll look at specifically at four benefits. Benefit number one, children, here, you belong to God. God has promised to be your God. All of the children here, God has promised to be your God. It means he'll give you everything you need to live in covenant with him. He's given you the promises, forgiveness of sins, to help you overcome the sin in your life by the power of the Spirit protect you from all your spiritual enemies. And you know what? You can build your life on that identity that God has given you. And if you ever struggle in faith, you can always call out to God based on his covenant promises. Lord, you have promised to be my covenant God. Hear me. And he will hear. He will not reject those calls. And even if you feel like a dead branch... Don't be afraid. God will not cut you off. Keep calling to him to be faithful and give you what you need. Look to Christ in faith. God is faithful. You can trust him to be faithful to what he has promised. That's the first benefit. Benefit number two. Believers are assured of the salvation of their children who die in infancy and childhood. You see, your children, beloved, belong to the olive tree, the covenant people of God. And death does not cut them off from that. People are only cut off because they have rejected God and Christ in unbelief. And that does not apply to infants and, and children. So let me assure you right now, some believers experience miscarriages, Some experience stillbirths. Others have children die at a young age. Let me assure you, those children still belong to God. And they are in heaven. 
can be 100% certain about that. Don't need to doubt at all. Isn't that a wonderful thing to praise God about? Those children are with the Lord. If you were to lose children in the future, and I pray that the Lord uh, prevents that, you can know they will go to be with the Lord as well. It's benefit number two. Benefit number three, this teaching guards covenant children against living a life of sin and unbelief. No, I think one of the objections to the practice and theology of infant baptism is that it can make the children of believers lazy when it comes to faith and, and living a godly life. And does this not make parents lazy when it comes to the spiritual well-being of their children? Oh, God has made his covenant with my children, kind of takes me off the hook, and that seems to be uh, some people's reasoning. I will admit that those things can happen. Sometimes they do happen. That is not a problem with the teaching and practice itself. In fact, the very opposite should happen. Look at what Paul says to the Gentiles here in Romans 11. You were grafted into the place where branches were broken off. And they were broken off because of unbelief. Do not be arrogant over those branches, but be afraid. If God did not spare the natural branches... And neither will he spare you. If you do not believe, if you reject God and Jesus Christ, then God will cut you off as he cut them off. So listen, all of you who have been baptized, children, young, young people, and adults, and all of us, don't make the same mistake as unbelieving Israel. As covenant people, their condemnation was heavier because of their unbelief. So don't think to yourself, I've been baptized, I'm part of God's covenant people, so everything will be okay. Even if I live a life of unbelief and, and embrace a life of sin? Certainly not. Perhaps you become part of that olive tree through the faith of your parents. But as you grow older, you can't rely on someone else's faith, you need your own faith. As you grow as part of the olive tree, it's expected that you will bear fruit. Remember, if God did not spare Israel, neither will he spare you. And parents, take your responsibility seriously. God calls you to train your children in the way of the covenant, to call them to faith, to lead them in holy living. Be an example to them. Again, it must be stressed that God will give us what we need uh, for all these things. Look to him in faith. Call to him in faith. He'll give you what you need to be faithful. That's benefit number three. That brings us to the last one, benefit number four. You know, what I just talked about in benefit number three can at times be difficult to hear. And that's because sometimes covenant children turn their backs on the Lord and that's a, that's a sad thing. That's a tremendously difficult thing. Uh, there are consequences, heavy consequences for that. We can't deny that. However, here's where the fourth benefit comes into the picture. God's covenant means we should never despair of God's mercy toward those who have uh, stumbled, who've turned their back on the Lord. 
We serve the same covenant God as the God of the Old Testament. And some people, they don't really like that. But it's actually beautiful. For what do we see time again in the Old Testament? We see a God who continually called his unfaithful people back to himself. I'll give you one example. King Hezekiah was a godly king. Served the Lord. But King Hezekiah had a son who seriously went astray. King Manasseh was the most wicked king of Judah. He served all kinds of foreign gods, even placed an idol in the temple of the Lord. And you would think that God would just finish him off right then and there. But what did God do? Well, he brought Manasseh to prison in Babylon. And there it says, Manasseh entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, King Manasseh of all people. He prayed to God and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then it says, Manasseh knew that Yahweh was God. And that is covenant grace. And we see it here in Romans 11 also. God can take those dying Israelite branches that were cut off and graft them in again. God has the power to raise the dead, beloved. So do not despair, no matter how spiritually dead. A straying covenant child appears to be. God has the power to give them new life, to bring them back again. That's benefit number four. Beloved, we could add more, but we'll leave things there. I pray that you will see that children of believers belong to God. By that fact, they must be baptized too. Because of God's covenant promises to to us and our children, we receive so many gifts and blessings from him. So let us praise his holy name. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 58.